Ramble. If I offered you two different pairs of jeans and I told you that you can only wear one of them, you could probably decide in two seconds. But what if I offered you a thousand pairs of jeans and they're all slightly different and I said you can only wear one of these for the next 12 months straight. This will be your go-to pant of choice. What are you going to do? How do you even start to choose? That's exactly what I felt like when I was combing through thousands of listings whenever we were moving to a new apartment. I would spend hours a day stressing about, is this apartment in a good neighborhood? Is it going to accommodate my dogs? Does it fit my budget? I didn't know any of these. And the worst part is most of the listings didn't even tick all of my boxes. That is why Apartments.com is your best place to look for your new home. Apartments.com lets you filter your search based on whether you have pets, if you want a balcony, built-in AC, whatever it is that you're looking for. The website remembers your search so that you don't have to keep filtering every time you come back. And Apartments.com has more rental listings than anywhere else, meaning no matter how specific your needs are, they got you. And your instant alerts mean that you can spend less time online looking for the perfect place and more time doing you. So if you're looking for a new place to call home, head over to Apartments.com, apartments.com, the place to find a place. Bada bing, bada boom, it's a mini sewed. Okay, I just have to put this out there. I bit my tongue. I bit my tongue so bad, I don't even know how to describe it. It's swollen to the size of what I imagine a cow's tongue to be. <laughs> and do you know how difficult it is to talk when your tongue is swollen to the size that it's not normally supposed to be? I didn't even know that it would make such a difference. But now I just got this foreign object, like this little slimy tongue just wobbling around inside my mouth, and I don't know what to do with it. Why is it so swollen? You tell me. I don't know how tongues work. So this week's podcast, it's going to be a little tonguey it's gonna be a little weird (laughs) there's gonna be a lot of um just big tongue mood that's it i don't know what else to say so quick disclaimer now this week's podcast i'm so excited about it and i just want to give a big shout out to my mom because she helped me translate a lot of these (laughs) i want to thank my mother (laughs) thank my mom for this award because uh she helped me translate a ton of these and this is a korean case about the korean manson family no it's not like a little section of the manson family now they're in korea this is what korea describes as their version of the manson family it's a korean cannibal cult there is no correlation I mean, I guess there's not really anything that they have in similar other than the fact that they are cults and they went on to murder people. But, you know, go off. So the Korean Manson family, otherwise known as Chijonpa. Yes, that's the name of the cult or the dude. That's the name of the cult, Chijonpa. Chijonpa. What does that mean? Chijonpa. I think it's supposed to mean like Chijon family, but uh, Chijon's not even his last name. Chijon's not even his Ah. name. It's his nickname. So it's like me being like bean family is my cult name oh, garbanzo God. bean family <laughs> so chijon pa we're gonna get started on the chijon pa cult and this one's weird i mean you know that saying eat the rich this has become a very popular saying these days well this cult they said okay that's a really cool saying we're gonna do that we're gonna do exactly that we're gonna do that literally we're gonna cannibalize the rich we're gonna fucking cook them up and make them into side dishes they turned rich people into panchan that was their whole ideal sorry that was really graphic the way that they got their little hit list they didn't even make a list of like you know what my neighbor is kind of rich you know what jeff bezos do be the richest man on earth we're gonna target these people they didn't even do that they went to a department store this massive mall called the hyundai mall well there's multiple hyundai locations the car. hyundai the car but the car company also owns malls they go to this hyundai department store and they bribe a disgruntled employee they say hey you just got fired you hate this company you hate hyundai you want them to burn so why don't you just go and ask a friend who works there to illegally print off the list of 1200 of the top spenders at this department store and give it to us because, wow. you know, these department stores, they ask you for your address. They ask you for your name. They have your credit card on file a lot of the times. So they said, give us give us the you know list. We're mm-hmm. not going to go and steal their credit cards. We're not trying to go buy stuff. We're trying to kill them. And he was like, OK. So he gave them the list and that became the group's hit list. So in order to get a full understanding of this group, we need to start with none other than the leader. So the leader's name is Ki Hwan Kim. Now, Ki Hwan Kim, we're just going to call him Leader Kim, and he was 27 years old when he got arrested. So this group is entirely young. It's made up of he's the oldest, then there's maybe like a 23-year-old, and then the rest were like 20, 21. 
Wow. So insanely young. Now, I couldn't really find a lot about his entire childhood. Like, there's no evidence that it was abusive. There's no evidence that it was violent. There is evidence, however, that he was born incredibly poor. But that is common with a lot of families in South Korea then and to this day. But he had really, really big ambitions. That was his thing. He was every single year, he would rank the top of his class every single year. And some of the kids that he went to school with, I mean, they weren't rich, but they they had enough money that the parents were like, okay, I'm going to get you a tutor on the weekends, you know. Mm -hmm. But he would rank top of his class. A lot of the times, even when he was ranking top of his class, he'd be working at night. So it seems like he's got this whole world set up for him. It's like, okay, you're going to excel in school. You're going to get out of poverty. You're going to go to college, Mm -hmm. all of these things. And that was his plan. He was like, I'm going to get out of this shithole. I don't want my family starving anymore. I don't want to see them hungry. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be the first in my family, get to college, Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to work a manual labor job and I am going to work at an office and I'm going to pay for shit you know he Mm -hmm. was excited so anytime that they would have these like academic events so the one that he excelled in the most was you know the Japanese version of chess they call it go I believe where it's the um, black and white marbles yeah which is a strategy game just like chess he ranked number one in the district multiple times so this kid those are really hard yeah so this kid is academically smart now what makes it even crazier is that he actually skipped a lot of days in class like he wouldn't even show up every single day because you know his family was facing financial trouble so he'd be like okay well i can't come to class this entire week because i gotta go make money like we don't have food on the table so i gotta go i don't know do some shit to make some money so that we can eat he had a bunch of siblings and he's like we gotta eat something but he was still top of the class now he ends up dropping out at the seventh grade Hmm. even though he was top of his class because his dad ended up dying now the dad he was um, working a bunch of construction jobs he wasn't making a lot of money and now that he's dead nobody else was making money so these kids they were forced to pull out of school and just start feeding themselves so he starts moving to different cities in south korea he first moves to Busan, which is um like the i believe it's at the tip of the peninsula and he starts working at a shoe factory there just tons of factory work like hard labor for a seventh grader like an eighth grader and this is in the 90s i mean i don't know how it works today but like i can't believe they just like let him work well, yeah, back in the days, I think it's yeah. a body is a body. A body is a body. But I guess, uh, I mean, what's worse to say, no, you can't work. And then no, and they also hungry, like, right? Even in China, too, like in the poor areas, yeah. a certain age, you just have to work and feed. Usually, you know, you can't afford everybody to go to school. So usually one or two get to go to school and mm. the rest will just work. That's so sad. Yeah. And a lot of time, it's just you just make that sacrifice even though you really want to go to school you're like okay i'm gonna work so my little sister or my usually my little brother can go to school usually bitch okay yeah okay (laughs) yeah so yeah he works at the shoe factory i mean really sad right then he starts moving to different parts of south korea works at like a plywood factory which i'm sure i don't know why that just sounds so dangerous then he moves to seoul which is the main capital of south korea and he does more manual labor jobs and he was always described as someone who is diligent he's got this crazy work ethic like you could not make this kid stop working like it's insane most kids they just lay around and do what i do like scroll on tiktok and he's working in factories like this is a law abiding spirit is what they called him now i don't know if that's a common thing to call someone in south korea but this kept coming up in like so many different articles a law abiding spirit what (laughs) we have sayings like that does it just mean like by the books type of kid like just a nice nice member of society exactly and it's important (laughs) it's very important to be that like that means you're a good person oh if you abide by the laws yes okay that makes sense i mean i can kind of get on board with it so he's described as someone who's just a hard worker overall that's just what he called him and now while he's working in the main capital of south korea that's when he starts noticing some shit i don't know if he noticed this prior but he said when he went to seoul this is when it got so crazy i mean the amount of rich kids that he saw he said it was insane i mean these rich kids that are the same age as him he's working in a factory he's leaving sweaty just sore all all over the place and these rich kids just decked out in his year's salary in clothes mm. just wearing these gucci flip-flops i guess also at the same age yeah 
It's really just annoying, no? Shocking. It's shocking. And I think the 90s was really important in South Korea. So this takes place in like 1993 to 1995. And during that time, there was this major economic boom in South Korea. So you've got the rich getting richer. You've got, you know, lots of corruption in politics, lots of corruption in major, you know, companies. And then you have the poor who either stay the same or they get poorer because the rich keep getting richer. And they're like, well, we don't really care about you. So we're just going to jack up prices because we kind of like this lifestyle. This was like the first influx of tons of just foreign stuff coming into the country i'm talking like uh, you know designers i'm talking foreign cars so now you can visually see it i think to Mm. this day i mean there's so many foreign cars in south korea now that if you go you won't really bat an eye if you see a bunch of maseratis on the street right Mm -hmm. but i think back in the day because it was just starting it's like oh my Mm. god is that a what is that car yeah you're like what is this 18 year old doing driving that fucking car Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like this shocking thing of like, whoa, I know you didn't earn that money. Probably, you know, you're 12. <laughs> like, what are you doing? So he would constantly see these things in the streets of Seoul. And then when he would go home, he would watch the news and the news would start talking about it. They'd be like, can you believe it? These rich kids, they would spend money like it's water. Do you guys see this? Like it was flex culture on crack. They're like, look at them and their you know, foreign cars. Look at their sweet 16 birthday parties. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them we're getting into a lot of trouble for using money to get out of legal trouble and or get into colleges. They had an explosive, insane college entrance exam scandal during this time. I know that we recently had one in the US and it was explosive, but that was happening in the 90s. So he's reading the news and this kind of strikes a chord with him. Like he gets really pissed off by this because he dropped out of school in the seventh grade, not because he was failing, not because he didn't want to go to school, not because he didn't try hard, but because he couldn't afford to stay in school and feed himself so he's like you're telling me this little bits this little rich bits in gucci just like got into the school because money like mommy has money like that's insane and they actually had a name um they were known as yata the rich rich kids kids. and i'll tell you why so uh i was really confused by this because i was like that's not a korean word like where is this word coming from yata right it doesn't sound korean at all and it means yeah ta which means hey you get in get in the car like the mean girls get in bitch we're going shopping like straight up that's how Wait, the name came he, apart who say that yeah you the, oh, rich, the rich kids, kids will so, always say yeah yes. you so the rich kids were known for especially the rich kid boys getting these foreign cars maseratis mercedes benz that's the same shit <laughs> i'm an idiot you know all of these rich people cars and they would drive around the streets of Seoul. they would see a pretty girl they have no idea who this girl is they would grab a wad of cash like to implicate like oh this is how much i can pay you to hang out with me for the day and they would just say yeah like you get in shut up yeah oh my god and all of these adults are looking at this like what is going on in our country like i'm literally coming home from a nine-to-five job my feet are sore like i gotta put food on the table and this little 18 year old is like hey you get in you know it's like i mean i would want to smack them too come on let's be real like it's pretty annoying so they were called the yatas so they just skr skr yata now ya is also kind of a like a mean way of saying like you especially if you don't know someone in korean culture mm-hmm. it's like hey you like it's so they're all rude. little brats yeah like very bratty right so you know he was reading about this he was watching it on the news he's experiencing in real life and he moves back to his little small town at that point he's like okay i'm done with this maybe i can like set up a farm i, I just need to find what the next thing i'm gonna do is and that's when he gathers up all of his friends that he met while he was playing poker he's like hey you get in and you bring a friend and you bring a friend and most of them had a criminal history so they're all sitting down together and all of them had worked manual labor jobs and they were sick of it that was the one thing that they bonded on like this freaking sucks have you seen the news have you seen that the yatas are just spending all this money and we're just what are we doing we're just breaking our bones and sweating all day for what for what for the yatas that's who we're working for we're working for a company whose kids are just living life like this like this is insane and so they sit around and he says listen we can get back at them we can do something about this. We don't have to live this life, you know? I mean, this is weird, don't you think? And they're all like, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Now, I think the reason that he became such a strong leader in this sense was because he was older than these kids. So the youngest would be um, 23, 
Well, he's actually 18, so 22. Yeah, it gets complex, okay? So the eldest was 22, and he's 27. And in Korean culture, you have to show respect just because of their age. Mm. This is really important. If you are two years older than me, there is a different, almost like a different way that I talk to you. Like, almost like a different language. It's a very respectful tone. I can't call you you Mm-hmm. I can't say, hey, you, you know? Yeah. And so because of that, they were just like, oh, yeah, absolutely, young. Like, that's what you call them, like an older brother. Like, absolutely. I totally agree with what you're saying, right? So they're like, let's come up with a gang. We don't even know what we're going to do yet, but we're going to come up with a gang. So wh- where should we name our gang? So they're all sitting there. They're drinking their little sojus. And they're like, you know what? Maskan. We're going to call ourselves Maskan. <laughs> now you're probably like, what's Maskan? I what? have a guess. What? Mask gang. Okay, no. Okay. <laughs> you said mask on COVID. <laughs> <laughs> no, they said maskan is a Greek word for ambition. Now, in hindsight, it's a little funny because no one can find a similar meaning or pronunciation for that. So I don't know who told them that maskan was the Greek word for ambition because it's not. <laughs> okay. So they're like, that's what our group group is going to be called. And then eventually they were like, nah, we don't really like that name. Like we should stick to our Korean roots. Like, what's your nickname? What's your nickname? And the leader was like, you know, they call me Chijun. So why don't we call this Chijon Pa, Chijon Family? Is Chijon just a regular name? So the Chijon is not a regular name. Thank you for asking. It's actually his nickname from a Chinese movie called Chijon Musang. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it in Mandarin, Absolutely but it's called <laughs> Casino Raiders. I showed you the picture the other day and I said, hey, how do you pronounce this? And you said, why? And I said, never mind. The Casino Raiders. So it's a Hong Kong based gambling movie. So it's just about this gang who comes together to gamble and try to like outsmart the system. I mean, there is just an intense obsession with money in this entire group. They hate the rich, but they also really have a lot of emphasis on money. Mm. They don't hate the rich for corruption. They don't hate the rich for being these nasty people. They hate the rich because like that's so annoying that you're like driving around in these foreign cars. Like that's really annoying to me, you know? Yeah. So he really loved this gambling movie. He watched it over 30 times and he started idealizing just the gang life, gang rules, primarily loyalty, allegiance, making money together, getting revenge. Those were all very prominent themes inside the Casino Raiders. So now he's like, all right, we're going to be Chijon Pai and that's how we're going to run things. We're going to we're going to get this crazy gang. And you know what? Let's read this book together. No, straight up. I know it sounds crazy, but he's like, let's sit down and read this book together. And it was called Yayin, which is a Japanese book about betrayal and what do you do to someone who betrays you that was like a theme in the book and there's a part where uh, someone gets betrayed and they push the betrayer off a cliff and this is pertinent to the story later now this isn't a gang that just like reads books and watches movies together okay that's like the type of gang i want to be in but this isn't that type of gang okay they've got goals they hate rich people and they literally want to eat the rich so they put together a list of rules and the rules are this we hate those with a lot of money You have to hate anyone who's rich. It doesn't matter if they're the nicest person in the world. You have to hate them. A traitor to the group must be killed. Even if they apologize, even if they had to, you know, betray you, they got to be killed. Number three, this is an odd one. Do not trust a woman, not even your own mom. It's a weird one. (laughs) Yeah, so they just like threw that in there. They were like, you know what? Murder, eat the rich, misogyny. You can't forget misogyny. (laughs) Don't forget that one. That's a big one. So they have all of these goals and they just felt personally attacked. They would sit around and share these stories about like how much they hate rich people. One of them said, you know, one time I got beat up by my teachers because I wasn't able to bring crayons to class because I can't afford crayons. Now, in the 90s, uh, Korean teachers did beat the kids. So this is uh, verified. And he's like, you know, I can't afford crayons. And I would get beat every day because they'd be like, you forgot your crayons again. Like, how can you forget crayons? Like, that's the one thing you were supposed to bring today are the freaking crayons. You never learned anything. You're so busy, like going out, playing with your friends that you forgot your crayons. And he would get beat constantly until one day he stole a box of crayons from the store, brought them the next day. And the teacher was like, good, you finally learned. So he's saying like, you know, this is putting the connection in my head that in order to do something good and not get in trouble, I got to steal from the people who have it. And I don't feel bad about it because if I don't, I get beat. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, talking about that. They kept talking about how rich people never have to lift a finger, but they complain all the time. So these are from like their letters that they wrote. So they also said that uh, poor people fade away working like cows and horses. They said society is set up that poor people never become wealthy, which isn't fair. And ev- why do we work so hard? You know, if the game, like the rules of the game are written against us, pretty much that's what they're saying. So their plan going forward, how do we fix this? You know, do we become activists? 
<laughs> really? <laughs> do we do we become activists? Do we try to do something about it? They said we're going to kidnap the rich, we're going to take their money, and we're going to kill them. That was their plan. It's like a bunch of five years old come up yeah. with a plan. Like we hate it, we want it. Let's kill them. Yes. Yeah, which is like this is why it's like such a complex thing to talk about because you can feel for them, you understand them, and you think that there is an issue with the wealth gap, but then at the same time you're like, but you really shouldn't kill anyone. I just don't understand. Like you're yeah. worse than them, you know. And um, they did really intense training for these killing sessions. They started hiking the second tallest mountain in South Korea called uh, Chidisan. So they would hike up there. They would all wear the little headbands, like you know the Nike headbands that are in style right now. But they would say Chijonpa uh, on it. And they would just hike up there and they would stay up on that mountain for two weeks. Like, this is cult training. That's what they do. They're like, we got to train for this shit. They put up all their money together. They raised all this money, all the savings that they had from all the construction jobs. They went around and stole money. They did a lot to gather this money and they started building a house. And this would be known as their murder house. And they built it brick by brick. And it was the strangest thing because it's the cutest little house. It's like this pink and light green colored house. And I'm sure they painted it that way. Yeah, so that no one would assume that they're killing people in that cute little house. But it's like pastel pink, baby pink, sage green. Like it just looks like an Instagram worthy spot. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. And so they painted it. And now in the basement of that house, they had a jail cell to hold rich people. They also had a giant oven where they would incinerate these rich people's bodies. They said, we're going to stick them in the oven so that they would, you know, we can get rid of their bodies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, this was in like the the countryside of Korea. So this wasn't like straight up in the metropolitan area. This was dense, dense, dense country. The village at this point was known to have zero crimes. No crimes. Nobody was stealing anything. They only had about like 19 houses nearby. And 16 of them were like the same family. They were somehow all related. So it was like just one family (laughs) and then like maybe a couple other people. So (laughs) this was not like a densely populated area. So this was just no one was really paying attention to them. like oh they're just a bunch of weirdos they just like want to live out in the countryside okay now inside the house they had that giant oven they had two cars a big truck and a small car they had walkie talkies they purchased a lot of dynamite they had 17 weapons including six rifles a summer i want to call it a submarine gun but it's a submachine gun i don't know what that is a pistol a bb gun military swords hiking swords that are disguised as hiking sticks so someone had MacGyvered it and it looks like one of those sticks that the Korean grandpas use to like hike up a mountain. But then you unroll it and it's like this knife pick wow. that you can just stab people with. Now, I mean, it gets really intense. The first thing is the initiation. Every gang, every cult, there's got to be some sort of initiation. It's a moment. You know, in America, a lot of it involves drugs and you do LSD and you're like, I've been initiated. I saw Jesus, you know. But in this situation, they were like, we got to gang rape someone. Yeah. So now it's where it gets really serious. So the first kidnapping, they kidnapped a woman coming off the bus. Now, was she rich? No, she was actually the daughter of a farmer. So she came from like just very similar background as them. They didn't have money. And um, she comes off the bus. They kidnap her. They take her into the mountains close to their little murder house and they gang rape her. Now, the purpose of this gang rape, I'm certain is probably for bonding for power purposes. They call it like kinship is what a lot of people refer to it as. For them to like kind of like um like form a brotherhood, I guess. So six men. There were six men? Yeah. So they rape her and then the leader looks at the crew and says, Hey, I'm gonna um well it's actually seven men at this point. It'll be six later. And he says, Um, I'm gonna show you how to kill someone. This is how you do it. And he starts strangling her. Now, I couldn't find any record if he killed anyone before this. I know that he had run-ins with the law afterwards, but I mean, there's no record that he ever had a run-in with murder, like he didn't murder anyone. There's no him saying, oh, this wasn't my first murder. So it's kind of odd that he said this. I think maybe it was him trying to like establish his position inside the gang, like, oh, I'm going to teach you how to do it. Mm -hmm. So he starts strangling her and the gang members, even they said it was a little strange. They said it was kind of like a messy killing. It wasn't done strategically, skilled, or in a smooth way. They he just like was struggling to strangle this woman to death then she dies and they bury her in the mountains so their first victim is not even who they hate which i think is so messed up not saying that it should have been someone else or you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean 
Now, before the gang gets caught, she's found and they find that she's the daughter of a small farmer. Like, what is the motive? Like, we don't understand. They start investigating all of the loved ones, everyone that she knew. Like, they investigated sex offenders nearby and there was nothing. So it became like a closed case. Like, they were like, we can't find out who murdered her and buried her in the mountains. This is insane. So after the first murder, one of the gang members completely falls off the radar. Just one of the gang member? Yeah, he just completely fell off. Everyone else was like, you know, still with him. He just like ran away. Okay. And they were like, what happened to that gang member, right? Um, I originally thought it's got to do with he's scared. Like, he doesn't want to be a part of this. He doesn't want to murder people. Like, seeing that is a wake-up call. Like, he's like, no, I don't want to murder people, you know? Yeah. But um, he, it's not really the only reason. He had lied about being 23 years old. He mm -hmm. was actually 18 years old. When he joined the gang, the cult, he showed his ID, but it was his brother's ID his mm -hmm. older brother that's 23 and they were like oh my god you're 23 so all of the rest of the gang they started calling him young which is the respectful term of older brother and because he was the second oldest in the group he was given more extra duties because korean culture is all about age like seniority and age is mo super important and so because of his age he became the accountant he started managing all of the funds and all of the gang members they would have to give all of their money to the fund. So he ran away with the money? So he stole a little bit of the money. He stole $3,000 of the money and he ran away. So the gang, they find him. Yeah. The Chijonpa, they find him. The cult finds him and they tell him, it's okay. You were probably shocked about the murder. That's the only reason you would run away from us. I mean, it was your first murder. It's, it's always so intense. It's a hard pill to swallow. Don't worry. Nothing's wrong with you. Like, seriously, it's going to be okay. Like, we accept you for who you are. It's fine. Not everyone's built to murder. So just come back with us and maybe we can talk things out. And, you know, he's like, are you sure? Like, I'm really scared. Like, I mean, I, I know that I really messed up. Like, I know that you guys know about the missing money, but I just felt like I needed some money to go on the run because you guys were going to find me. And, you know, I'm a traitor. And they're like, no, you were just scared about the murder that you just saw. It's okay. And, you you know, now that we know that you're the youngest, you're the magne, which means youngest, we have to take care of you. So come on. It's okay. Come with us. Some people say that I'm hard to get. Nobody says that. I say that. But you know what is hard to get? Prescription acne treatment. It's crazy because it actually works. So if you guys don't know about apostrophe, I'm about to blow your mind. They are a prescription skincare company for people that are ready to take their acne seriously. You don't have to take time off of work to go see a dermatologist or a doctor, sit in line at the pharmacy for your medications. Apostrophe makes it easy to see a board certified dermatologist online. You'll get treated immediately and your medications are delivered straight to your door. So all you have to do it's super simple you fill out the apostrophes online questionnaire about your skin concerns your medical history just take a cute little selfie here and there and your dermatologist will take a look at those pictures and they'll get back to you with a customized treatment plan tailored just for you the best part about apostrophe is that not only do they offer topical medications but oral medications too so you can treat your acne from the inside out and from the outside in they treat acne but they can also help you hit other skincare goals like reducing redness wrinkles even dark spots this is my thing with acne when i have pimples all over the place i want to get treated immediately because you know it kind of messes with my insecurities and i just get a little bit self-conscious and with dermatologist appointments i mean you have to schedule like weeks in advance especially during covid times they're like sorry we can't see you till next year but with apostrophe it's so quick to submit your visit and i love that i have a real dermatologist that takes a look at my skin and tailors my entire skincare plan to me right now you can get 15 dollars off your first visit with a board certified dermatologist at a apostrophe.com slash rotten and use our code rotten because this code is only available to you guys to get started just go to apostrophe.com slash rotten and click begin visit then use the code rotten at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit that's a-p-o-s-t-r-o-p-h-e.com slash rotten and use that code rotten to get your dermatology visit for $15 off and we thank apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast so he leaves his little hideout spot and he goes with the cult and they kidnap him and they take him into the mountains. Now, not only do they take this, you know, member, the shamed member into the mountains, they catch a stray dog and they take the dog into the mountains. So in the mountain, they tie up the little gang member with copper wire. And the first thing that they do is they look at the stray dog and the dog is tied up like they have a leash on it now or a makeshift leash. And they're saying, OK. Well, I'm going to show you guys what we're going to do next. So leader Kim, he grabs a knife and a pickaxe 
and he starts killing the dog, the stray dog. And he says, this is how you brutally murder someone who betrays you. And it was a vicious bloodbath. I mean, the dog was brutally killed. And then he said, this is what we do next. We're going to consume the flesh of the dog. Listen, we talk about what is so the many... other guy doing? He's just tied up watching this. watching this. Yeah. And I know that we talk about so many uh, serial killers in the making. Um, Richard Chase ate so many animals. Don't come for this Korean. Okay. Because we're Korean. Okay. But like you can come for them for eating the dog. But don't make a racist joke, please. Thank you. And so they ate the dog. Now, after they do that, the gang member is like, now you guys try with this gang member. All of you guys kill this shamed gang member who's a traitor. He stole our money. He refuses to work with us. He doesn't sit with our ideals anymore. Like, we need to kill him. Uh-huh. And so the rest of the gang kill the gang member. And five, the leader doesn't people? touch him. Yeah, the leader doesn't even touch him. The leader's like, yeah, well, I showed you how to do it on the dog. Now you guys go ahead. So they murder the traitor. And then the leader gets arrested. So you're thinking, okay, finally, justice for the victims. Like they found the the connection between the woman that was gang raped. They found the connection between the traitor. And now they're all going to go down. And that is the end of the story. Nay, nay, no, sir. Because he actually gets arrested for raping his friend's niece who was in middle school. So she had reported to the police like a couple months ago, this old man, this dude, he's like 30 now. He, he raped me. He's my dad's, like my uncle's friend. Mm-hmm. So the police were able to trace him down. They arrest him. They have no idea that he just committed two murders and they arrest him for rape. And he was only sentenced to five years in prison, even though she was a middle schooler. He was in his 30s. And this was a brutal, savage rape. OK, so he was gone for five years. So, yeah. So now he's in jail. Now you're thinking, OK, like the group is without their charismatic leader, the cult without the leader. Like that's no longer a cult. They're going to disband. It's going to fall apart. It's just going to be a shit show. No, no. Who knows who's the leader now? There wasn't even an established rank between all of them yet. So it wasn't like you are the vice president. You're the second in command. You're the accountant. You're the treasury. They didn't have any of that. Like it was too soon to know. So mm-hmm. they don't they have no idea who they're supposed to report to. So you would think that the gang would disband. But instead, they start visiting him in the local jail and take orders for him while he's sitting in jail for the rape of a middle schooler. And he tells them, that was just the initiation. That was practice. Now we've got to start killing rich people. Now's the time that we kill rich people. So they said, okay, what do you think we should do? How do we spot out these rich people? So at this point, they didn't have that Hyundai um, Supermall list yet. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have these VIP clientele lists. So they're like, how, how do we know if someone's rich? And they're like, you know what car screams rich to me? The Toyota Granger. It was like this new model that came out. Um, well, they had some old versions, but like the new newest model. It's pretty expensive. Is it so, just like a Camry or something? Like a little bit better, oh. I think, is what they said. I think it's a discontinued one, or maybe it was only released in Asia. I've never heard of a Granger. Yeah, probably. It's yeah. so long ago. So they're like, yeah, the Toyota Camry. Camera, (laughs) the Toyota Granger. It was the newest id car. So if you're riding around in this car, I mean, you must have money. You must have money, and you must be killed. Mm -hmm. So the third and the fourth victims they find sitting in a Toyota Granger. They were driving around, and they were both musicians. So one male who, um, so in Korea, it's interesting because they don't like to release like victims' names. So we just know his surname. So it's uh, the musician Lee is how people refer to him. That's just how they do it, right? So there's a male, 37, a female. 27 and their bandmates so they play you know musical instruments together and Mm -hmm. they're driving around just having a good time and they see a toyota granger drive by the cult they're just scouting the streets and Mm -hmm. they see that toyota so they're like all right we're gonna kill these rich motherfuckers like they don't deserve to live now here's the sad part about this this was a used older model that actually wasn't that expensive so these people didn't even have money But they were like, because they're driving this model and make, we're going to go kill them. So they start driving with the car and they're driving right next to the Granger, behind the Granger. And then eventually one of the cars of the cult. So they're in two cars, right? The main truck, they drive in front of the Granger and then the back one traps the Granger and they just both stop. So now this car, this Toyota is in the middle and they're like, okay, well, now we can't really do anything. Like we're stuck in between these two cars. So they get out and they're like, hey, what's the problem? Like, did something happen? Like, this is going to be an accident. And they grab a gun. They grab a knife. They go 
go up to the two people inside the Toyota and then I say, all right, like you're going to get into our cars now and we're going to take your car. And so it felt very much like a carjacking. Mm-hmm. So they get tied up. Um, a couple times they were stabbed here and there. They were, um, I want to say like superficially stabbed, but I'm sure it was incredibly painful mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't, they'd be scared. They would be too scared to try to make a run for it. So mm-hmm. they put them into their vehicles. One of the other cult members, they start driving the Toyota and they take them to the murder house. Now, when they get back to the murder house, they gang rape the female. And we're going to call her Susie because Susie is a big part of this story from now on. So they gang rape Susie and they ask the musician, hey, pay me money. Like, we need all of your money. I know you got money. You and your stupid ass Toyota Granger. Give us your money. And he's like, what do you mean? I have no money. Like, I seriously don't have any money. Like, I'm a struggling musician. I can barely get work right now. I just started producing music and I just I wanted to make it big. And I, I gave up everything to become a musician. I have no money. Like, what do you mean money? And the, it turns out he was right. He was able to show he was able to call bank bank accounts and they were like yeah your balance is like three dollars like you don't have any money so they're like okay like what do we do now that we kidnap someone who doesn't have money the whole point of this was to get money from them and then kill them so they're like oh okay let's think about it let's think about it so as they're thinking about it they're like we're just gonna have to kill them i mean tough luck like we can't let them go they saw our faces we gang raped the female they can't live plus we don't really care about them so they said i'm gonna kill you the right way I'm going to kill you in a way that's not painful. So they start force feeding the male alcohol, just shoving soju down his throat. And they tell the girl, if you don't kill your friend, they tell Susie, if you don't kill your friend, I'm going to kill you. They want the girl to kill him. Yeah. And she's crying and she's like, then I guess you have to kill me because I'm not going to kill my friend. Yeah. And so they said, okay, well, if you insist, and they put a plastic bag over the male musician uh-huh. and they start suffocating him and they grab Susie's hands forcefully and they push her hands on his mouth. So she is now an unwilling participant in her own friend's murder. And she's like crying. I mean, I'm sure she's like really torn up about this. Now, this was um, they said it was like a brainwash attempt. They wanted to make her feel like she's part of them, like she's one with them. Like maybe this is a bonding moment for her. Maybe this will make her feel like, well, now I'm like part of this cult. And maybe they can teach her about the ideologies afterwards. And then she'll be like, you know what? You're right. Like, I can totally see why you just murdered my best friend. And so she was forced to kill her best friend with them. And I think they did it for a secondary reason that now she can't really go to the police. She's an accomplice. Why aren't they killing her? Well, it seems like one of the gang members likes her. <laughs> what happened to rule number three? I know, three. three. So the other gang members, all of them were saying, we've got to kill her. Like, she's crying. Like, she's doing the most. She didn't want to kill her friend. She doesn't have what it takes. She doesn't want to be part of our cult. Like, she's not going to be a good cult member. We can never trust her. And uh-huh. there's this guy named Kim. We're going to call him Kim. So there's leader Kim, who's in jail. And then this guy's Kim, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, Kim, he was like, no. Th- she's call a- him K. K, K, yeah, Yeah. that's like a cult name, K. Yeah. K Jewelers, sorry. (laughs) So they're like, K, you know, K is like, listen, she's only been doing this for like two fucking days. Like, we need to give her some slack. Like, she just got here. Come on. She's going to get with it. I'm going to teach her about her ideologies. And she's going to be like, yes, eat the rich. Let's go kill them together. She's got this. So, I mean, it seems like K took a liking to her. It seems like K was interested in maybe dating her. Like, I don't I don't know what K's intentions were, but he mm-hmm. just really, really liked her. He was the one advocate for her not dying. That was it. Everyone else wanted her dead. So they start forcing her to do very culty things. They start forcing her to read that Japanese book about revenge and stuff. And um, that was, like I said, very pertinent to the story because now they have to get rid of her musician friend's body the third victim Mm -hmm. they're like well what do we do we don't really want to incinerate him because well now we've got his car and it's like this whole thing and like his family probably loves him so they're gonna you know look for him and man man what do we do what do we do all right that japanese book we're gonna make it look like it's an accident we're gonna get his car we're gonna drive it to a road on a hill and we're gonna use a different car to make skid marks on the main road and put the musician in he's reeking of intense alcohol right he's Mm -hmm. dead at this point and they put him in the driver's seat and they push him and the car off the hill now, mm-hmm. Susie sees all of this. So I can only imagine the terror and the trauma. And then after all of that, they take her back to the murder house and they gang rape her again. 
So the musician's family, they start asking questions. They're like, what's going on with my son? He was supposed to go like he was supposed to be home at this date. Like, I can't reach him. I, I'm freaking out. They go to the police station. They file a report. And eventually some construction workers, they find the body and the car at the bottom of this hill. He mm-hmm. he still reeked of alcohol. There was so much alcohol scent coming off of his body. There was skid marks on the road. Nothing was stolen from the car. So the police deem it a death by accident, death by drunk driving. Now, this is the part that makes it crazy. He had stab wounds. He had bruises. He had contusions all over his body. So the police were like, maybe he got into a fight and then he started drinking some alcohol and then he drove and then he died. So the police department, um, this specific department, would eventually get a ton of backlash for this because they're like, what do you mean? Like he was obviously stabbed. Like there's no denying it. He was stabbed. Like it seems like he was tortured and you're just like drunk drivers. You know how they be. So the cult, they start looking for their next victim and they start driving around. They took Susie with them and they spot another Toyota Granger. And this belonged to a married couple in their 30s and 40s. And they were actually at a grave. So they were prepping for Chuseok, which is like a Korean Thanksgiving, I guess you could say. So you have to, you know, honor your ancestors. It's like a whole celebration. So they were cutting grass at their family's gravesite. So they're mm-hmm. trying to, you know, tend to their loved ones, places and they had a Granger car. So they're like, okay, did you see that car? Did you see that couple? They must be freaking loaded. So they're like, we got to kidnap them. They kidnap them using their little knives, using their, you know, guns. And they weren't even that rich. So they had like a small factory that um, wasn't really rolling in it because they had just inherited it from another family member and they were just trying to fix it up. So most of the money was going into the employees and to the actual factory. And they, the couple, they barely had any cash. So they get trapped in the basement. And while they're trapped in the cell, the, you know, the dad, he's just like, they call him Mr. So. Mr. So is like, please just let us live. Let us live. Like, I'll do anything. Please let my wife live. Anything for my wife. Like, just let my wife live. And so the cult's like, all right, give us $100,000. And so he's like, I, I, I don't have $100,000. Can I use my phone? I can call someone. I can try to, I can try to get as much money as I can. I can, I can borrow money. Like, please, please. And so they're like, okay, use your phone. So they give him the phone. They're like holding guns to his face. He starts calling all of his coworkers. Uh And he says, I've been in a car accident and I really need some money. Please, I will pay you back. Please, I really need some money. Now, um, a lot of them didn't have money. A lot of them couldn't help him. But one of the people that could was the manager of the factory that he was running. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, you know, I don't have any money, but... We have this $80,000 that we've saved up to pay the factory employees for this amount of months, you know? That's all I, that's all I can think of. I don't have money. You don't have money. Like, what, what do we do, right? And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. It's just, um, can you meet me? Can you meet me and give me the money at this bus stop? And so the, the coworker is like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. So the gang is like, 80000 not 100000 and he's like, please, please, 80000 now. I can come back. I can give you more money. I just, all I have is 80000 And they're like, I'm just messing with you. That's fine. That's good. That's a good amount of money. So they drive him, just the husband, to the bus stop. And they said, listen, if you don't give us that money or if you go to a police station or you tell your little friend anything, we're killing your wife. We're, she's going to be dead. And we're going to go kill your daughter too because we've got your address. We're going to go kill her. You want your kids dead? So he's like, okay. So he goes, he gets the money. And the crazy thing is the bus stop that he met his co-worker at to get the $80,000 of cash there was a police station like two feet away like it was right there and he was uh-huh. like nope I'm not risking it like this is my wife we're talking about right mm. so he gets the money and he whispers to his co-worker help me and the co-worker immediately knew like his entire just vibe like this is not the type of guy Mr. So never asks for that money he never he's just not that type of person and now you're yeah. just saying like I need this money in cash like right now meet me here I mean it's weird So his entire face, his entire emotion, I mean, something was off. And he says, help me. So he gives him the money. He acts normal and he immediately leaves. Now, the coworker immediately goes to the police station and the police station said, what? Wait, where did this happen? At the bus stop? Oh, that bus stop. Okay, so you came to where you live because... This is like near your apartment, I guess. So you stop by this police station. But if you had a police station right in front of the bus stop, like that's their jurisdiction. So you got to go and tell those people what happened. Like we can't really do anything. And so he gets sent to the other police station. So he goes to the right one and they tell him, who sent you? Why would they send you? That's kind of crazy. Oh, my God. So, you know those moments? That, okay, I have worked my entire life in customer service before being, like, a rotten mango person. <laughs> 
and i hated those moments where like sometimes you go to like a hospital and they're like oh we don't take care of this like you got to go to this department you go to yes. that department and they go i don't know why they would send you and you're like i don't know that they just told me to come here and they're like yes. well i don't know why they would tell you to come here and you're like well i don't know either sometimes <laughs> when they fucking shift the blames oh my god and then the whole time they're like okay well i guess i'll do it and then they're just like oh, i still don't know why they would send you and you're like i don't know either like i don't know yeah. what to do so that's pretty much what they were doing they were just like what do you mean it's not their jurisdiction that's what they said to you that it's not their ju- that doesn't make any sense so you reported it with them and they were like come here i mean what what do they think that we can do they can do the same stuff it's technically we have the same jurisdiction and he's like can you just help me i think my boss has been kidnapped like what is your deal uh-huh. and he was like who's your boss you know mr so and we work at this factory Ah, that factory. Well, okay, here's an idea. That's really cute. I think I think your boss, the factory, is probably not doing well. I heard about that factory. It's not doing well, huh? And now this is probably like a little scheme that you guys have to just take the $80,000. Ooh, insurance. Oopsie, I lost the money. Oopsie, I've been kidnapped. So yeah, take your ass home, dude. No. What the fuck? So the police refuse to do anything. Seems like a universal thing sometimes in certain cases, okay? So they just don't do anything. And, you know, Mr. So goes back. He gives the gang the money and he puts them back into the cell. So this is when he's realizing, like, they're not going to release us. Like, holy shit. So he writes a three-page letter. He asks for pen and paper and writes them a three-page letter to the cult. The first page, he draws up the location of his factory. He gives all of the details of how many employees he has, how much money he has saved, how many loans he has, everything. And he says that the business, he inherited it recently. He's working hard on getting it in good shape because it wasn't given to him in good shape. And so he's not really, he has no cash really. And it's just all of it's going back into the company and paying these employees. And in the second page, he says, eventually, maybe I can take out a loan and I can get you another $43,000. I promise as I run the company, I'll, I'll get better and the company will grow and I will keep, I'll keep supporting you guys. I understand what you guys are talking about because he had heard some conversations. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, when I was young, I didn't have money and I have memories of stealing food when I was growing up and all of these things. So, so trust me, I want to support you guys. I will pay you guys once you release me uh, consistently. Like, you know, like maybe like a gang relationship, mm-hmm. like how gangs have certain territories and they make the businesses pay them a certain percentage for protection. And he spent a whole page begging them not to kill his daughter and his wife. Just begging them, like, it doesn't matter what you do to me. Like, please don't kill my family. I mean, they had his address at this point. Like, they knew where the kids lived. And he was just so terrified. And he said, please, please, please. Like, I won't call the police. I will continue to support you if you save my family. And they read that letter. And they said, all right, it's time. And they said, listen, you guys gave us $80,000. That was kind of nice of you. So we're going to make the death as painless as possible. And they start force feeding both of the couple alcohol, just soju down the throat, just shoving alcohol down their throat. And then they grab Susie. They grab Susie and they say, you need to kill him. This is your last test. And if you can't kill him, then I guess we can't trust you. So then we're going to kill you. So she takes the gun and she's freaking nervous. So just a little side note about South Korea. You have to jump through hoops to get a gun license as a civilian. So obviously these guys got it off the black market. Like they weren't going to the cops and getting a gun license. Hunting guns and BB guns are usually the main ones that they will give to citizens. And very rarely, like especially now in 2021, it's like nearly impossible for a citizen to get a gun in South Korea, right? Now, if you have a hunting gun or a BB gun license, Outside of hunting season, you have to store it at the police station. You can't even keep it inside your house. So they're crazy. I mean, it's insane. So this she's probably never held a gun in her life. Mm-hmm. Did you know most cops in Korea don't even have guns? And if they do have guns, it gets stored at the police station. And per person, like you can only bring a certain amount, number of guns. So when they raid places, if there's like seven cops, they can only bring like four pistols. They can't bring seven pistols or 14 pistols like they're really crazy about it and so you know she's probably never seen a gun in her life never held a gun never shot a gun in her life Mm -hmm. and so she's freaking out she's nervous and also she doesn't want to kill these people like this is a victim here right and she's like what i don't want to do this but she's like they're like do it do it do it so she shoots the gun and misses and so Kay walks over and wraps his finger around hers and shoots both of them So helps her pull the trigger. And then they dismember the wife's body and they use the meat from her body to make side dishes. Shut up. Yeah. 
And then the rest of the body that they did. Oh, as they're cooking the wife's body and making these side dishes, they force Susie to eat the raw liver of the wife that she just per- unwillingly participated in the death of. The raw liver. Wow. So then after they dismember both the bodies and they take the parts that they want to cook, they put both the victims in the incinerator and they start baking these victims to try to like turn them into ash, you know, and the smell is really intense. Now, this is a small village. No one's probably going to be concerned about this scent, but they just wanted to cover it up. So they go to the grocery store. They get a bunch of um, samgyeopsal, which is pork belly, and they start grilling it outside the house. And they're just having a good time. They're drinking. They're eating this pork belly and the side dishes that they cooked with one of their victims and they start inviting a people from the village over. They're like, hey, come like eat with us. So all of these unsuspecting villagers and neighbors sit there and eat the pork belly with them, share some beer with them and even ate some of the side dishes. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's two bodies being like cooked downstairs. And all the unsuspecting villagers are outside. Which, side note, this was really sad. This was an incredibly small, poor village that never had any crime. And then after this, no one wanted to go to that village anymore. They were just like, no, that village is full of crazy people. Even though these people weren't... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So after this, they're like, you know what? We need to hit some more big people. Like, that $80,000 was nice, but we want to get, like, millions of dollars. So they knew someone who had recently gotten fired at the Hyundai Mall. And they said, hey, if if you want revenge, let us know. Because... We can pay you like a couple thousand dollars. Just get us the list of the top VIPs of the mall, the biggest spenders. So he comes with a printed list of 1,200 names. And this officially became their hit list. And that has their address on there? Yeah. Wow. That just makes me rethink of like anytime I shop somewhere, they're like, what's your address? I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) No. (laughs) Even though it's only $5 and I'm not on the VIP list? No. (laughs) Okay. No. <laughs> Seriously. They're what? like, this is a McDonald's drive through ma'am. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, the day after the murders, they start practicing some stuff. They start practicing throwing dynamite. Yeah. Straight up, which is a really strange thing to Where's do. You're from? not even th- from a black market arms dealer who will oh. then get arrested. He just sells a bunch of guns to people. Yeah, off market. So um, he starts. Th- they start throwing dynamite, which I thought, OK, that's really strange. Like, I understand people practicing shooting guns, maybe using like knives. But like dynamite is such a dangerous explosive. Like, why are you practicing it? And typically, like you would just throw it and run the other way. Isn't that the protocol? Like, what do you mean practice? Right. Well, the whole thing was they wanted to prison break they wanted to prison break their leader out of prison so they have to practice throwing dynamite and make sure that the wall explodes so that they can get their leader out not only that they wanted to throw dynamite into the police station and they wanted to take all of the weapons that the police had inside the station and get access to a radio you know how police they have like their radio lines and they can broadcast stuff and mm-hmm. they wanted to tell the world who this group was and what they stood for and talk about how rich people suck and we need to eat the rich and we need to have a revolution start a movement aka a purge because like a movement is very different from mass murders you know and Mm -hmm. so they were like we need to start a movement and they genuinely thought that they were heroes in a movie like they genuinely thought like this is good all of korea is going to rise up and kill people with us so as they're doing this k he burns himself he burns himself on the arm and it was super painful so he's like okay well i gotta go to the hospital there's no way i can prison break any motherfucker out of prison with this injured arm so he's like let's go to the hospital now Susie is like hey k can i go to the hospital with you so Kay is the one that has the crush on her and she was just saying like I think it's you know I, I don't know if it's safe for me to be here with all the other members because you know they've been voting to have me murdered since day one and it's like my eighth day here and I don't think their feelings have changed so like can I go to the hospital with you and he was like yeah sure get in the car so they hop up in the car they make their way to the hospital and he I don't know what was going on in Kay's head but he hands her his cell phone and $50 and says alright just like stay in the waiting room while I go I think maybe he was worried that if like a nurse got his phone for whatever reason it would be like this whole thing i don't know why he gave the cell phone to her huh, maybe if someone okay. called i don't know so he's like hold this while i like go get my little hand bandaged up so she's sitting in the waiting room and she's nervous she's like i know this might be my only chance to run but at the same time like i've never been in this village i've never been in this part of town like i don't know if all of these people know him i don't know if they're all part of a gang or or if they know the situation that they just kidnap people and try to extort them for money like what's going on like how much of this you know you start getting paranoid so she's like you know what i just gotta do it so she runs outside while he's in getting his little thing bandaged up and she runs into a taxi immediately and this old korean adjacent 
Shi, this old Korean man, picks her up in a taxi. And she's like, start the car. Like, keep driving. And then she's like, I've been kidnapped for the past couple of days. I need help. I need to go to a police station. I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out. And the Korean Andre Shi, this Korean man, he turns around and he says, what? I know everyone in this town. Who? Who? What do you mean you've been kidnapped? And she's like, oh, my God. He's in on it. Like, he's going to know if I say the gang name. And then he's probably being like, he's probably paying the gang or the gang has probably paid him or like there's an association and he's going to give me back to the gang. And then for sure, they're going to murder me. So she's like, nope. So she runs out of the taxi. She's like hops out. She's like, bye, leaves the taxi and runs to a nearby grape farm. Uh-huh. And he she begs the owner. She's like, um, I just really need a rental car. I live, you know, in the city and I can come back and I can give you, you know, three times the money. I can give you four times the money. Like, please just let me get a rental car. And so they get her a rental car and she drives from that village seven hours to the outskirts of Seoul. Seven hours. She leaves the rental car on the outskirts of Seoul, gets a taxi because I think maybe she's thinking, OK, maybe they can like trace me to Seoul and I don't want them to know that I went to like the main city. Maybe they'll think I'm in the outskirts. They'll start searching the outskirts, you know. So she takes a taxi into Seoul. Now you would think, OK, she's going to run straight into the police station. She's going to be like, oh, my God, they kidnapped me. Right. Yeah. Well, she was thinking that. But she was so scared for her life because that's what she thought that they would think if she uh-huh. ran away. She would go into the city and she would go to the cops. So yeah. what if they, they meet her there? Yes. So she's like, I'm not going to do that. So she stays the night in a motel and she calls one person, just a male friend that she has, just one person, and tells him everything. And he immediately goes to the police station, reports it. And they're a little confused. They're like, yeah, we don't really believe that. Like your friend told you that? Your friend that's not here? Where's your friend? You know, what do you mean your friend told you that they're kidnapping people? All right, get out of here. And so, yeah. So the next day she's like, "Okay, I have to go to the police station and tell them what happened because they don't believe him because obviously I'm not there to tell them what happened. Right. Mm -hmm. So she immediately goes to the local police station in Seoul and they think she's on drugs. She's like telling them this crazy story and all the police officers are just checking her arms for needle marks like that was it. They were not even listening to the story. And she's like, listen, I'm not on drugs. This is serious. People have died and they're going to keep dying. You don't understand they're gonna target a bunch of rich people you just don't understand there was they just killed this married couple and uh, it's so annoying like they just they killed them they ate them they made me eat them and they're like married couple yeah they're they're like in their 30s they like own a factory or something and the police they knew about this missing married couple but they didn't tell the news or the press about it so there's no way that it was all over the news there was no way that she saw this in the newspaper and came to the police you know drugged up Right. This is confidential information. Yes. So they're like, what? So they trace the So family's phone and it led so to... So they a, finally took it seriously yeah, at this point. Yeah, they finally were like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so they traced Jeez. the So family phone and it was located in the vicinity of where Susie said the murder house was. Mm-hmm. Now, the gang on the opposite hand, they actually called her while she was uh, going through this excursion because she had Kay's phone. And they called Kay's phone and she picked up. She didn't say anything, but they just kept saying, hey, Susie. Hey, Susie. And then they hung up. Well, like her name. Yeah. So she's like, okay, like what's going on, right? Now, the gang already thought that she would go to the police. So mm-hmm. they actually stayed, stayed outside of the local police department in their village area for three days. There was no action. She never showed up. The local police department wasn't looking for them. There was nothing going on out of the norm. So they felt confident that she just ran away, didn't call the police, because technically in their heads, they're like, well, she participated in the murders. So that must mean, you know, she's an accomplice. Why would she go to the police after this? And then just like the trauma of... Over a week with them and the assaults, like, I mean, I can understand why Mm -hmm. if she didn't go to the police, you know, but I'm glad that she did. Now, meanwhile, in Seoul, they're putting together a homicide team. Now, this is going to be criticized a lot, but they only sent nine police officers, even though Susie was like, they've got dynamite, they've got machine guns, like they've got all these pistols. And they're like, "Okay, just send some nine people and like send them four. I think they went with four pistols. They were like nine people, four pistols. And they're like, we're good. We're going to go raid this place. Meanwhile, we've got like Waco, Texas, the whole situation with the FBI and the whole standoff with that cult. And they're just like, no, nine police officers. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. So there is a lot of criticism on that. Um, 
they were shocked. They said that when they got to the village, they weren't expecting such a cute little pink house, but they started staking out the place. They watched one of the gang members get into a truck to go buy groceries. So they immediately arrest him while he's outside of the house. And he just confesses to everything. He's like, oh, yeah, like we were trying to kill rich people. Like we already killed this many people. Like we gang raped Susie. Yeah, you're right. Like we totally did all of these things. So they're like, "Okay, like, what do we do? And the guy that they arrested, the first guy, he was Uh like, oh, yeah, also be careful. There's so much dynamite in there. And like we have an oven. So just just so you know. Uh-huh. So they're like, okay. So they call the local police department and they say, hey, can you call the people that live at this residence and just like make up a lie? We want to get them out of the house. We don't want them in the house with all the weapons. Like That's not a good situation. So mm-hmm. the local police department, they call and they say, hey, you know that friend, the one that they just arrested? They said, you know that friend? Well, he just got into a car accident and we need someone that knows him to pick up his car. And, you know, I think he had some cash on him, like a couple thousand dollars. We can't just like keep it in our office and we can't give it back to him because he's in the hospital right now like i just need you to pick it up so three gang members they get into the car and they go to the police station now when they get there one of them gets out of the car to the police station to pick up everything and he gets arrested and the other two are waiting inside the car and they're starting to get suspicious they're like what do you mean why should it be taking this long so they start realizing uh it looks like people are looking at us doesn't it so they take the car and they just drive off they leave their friend they're like bye friend and they leave and they actually get into a car accident later and that's how they're caught (laughs) so then the rest of the gang that's inside the house they start hearing about the arrest and they're like what do we do let's run so as they're running out of the house they get arrested so eventually the whole thing took like um it wasn't just nine police officers they had 20 more called as backup later on but i mean everyone was arrested they did take control over the murder house but overall just a really bad situation they got a lot of shit for it a lot of people said you know it was luck. It wasn't skill. Like this could have happened in such a bad way. There could have been so much collateral damage. There could have been so many police officers or collateral damage or just the people themselves that ended up dead that day. Like what were they thinking? And the, here is why they did that. It wasn't just because they didn't care. It wasn't just because they didn't have more people because they did. It was the fact that in the 90s, Korean law enforcement, here's a fun fact. If you were trying to arrest a big group together, you actually didn't want more police officers because it doesn't matter who karate chopped who and kicked who down and, you know, strangled who. Okay, strangled is a bad word. Whoever knocked someone down and kicked them and punched them and then it was a physical altercation. The police officer who put the handcuff on the criminal is the one that gets the recognition, gets the credit, gets the promotion. It doesn't matter if you did all the work. It doesn't matter if you trace them down. It doesn't matter if you fought to the death. That one police officer, that one mall cop that comes at the end and just his handcuff on, that's the guy that gets the praise. So the chief looked it around in his office. He say, which nine lucky motherfucker today? Yeah. And they were like, we don't need any more people. <laughs> How many people did you say they had? Six. We got it. We got it, bro. We got it. They didn't want backup. They wanted to get all the praise and they wanted to get the promotions. <laughs> so they arrest all of them successfully. They actually arrested one of the um, gang members' girlfriend who tried to help them escape. So she was arrested for like negligence, but not really murder or anything. She didn't participate in any of that. And they had interviews with the killers and it's insane so the leader said i'm angry that i couldn't leader get leader kim leader kim said i'm angry that i couldn't get rid of all the rich people who ignore the the lower class another gang member outside of prison said those rich bastards that live in apgujong which is like maybe beverly hills or the upper east side in america standard right those who ride in expensive granger cars i'm so angry i couldn't kill them all please put this on tv Another member said to the people who ignored the poor, every single rich person in Abgujang, I regret not getting started on killing them all. Now, of course, because when Kay gets interviewed, it's like the fucking bachelor. We're all like, did you give your final rose to Susie? Did you love Susie? All of the questions were like, were you in love with Susie? Is that why she survived? No, straight up. They were like, did you love her? And he said, no, I did not. I wanted to make her strong in order to make her a member. We can't love. We can't date as a gang member people think he liked her i mean he's just trying to be tough after the fact because she's the one that brought this all down right yeah and he says he is upset that he couldn't kill the people he really wanted to kill everyone who is rich the people who are born rich always ignore the ones that are not honestly people who never had anything are never able to get anything it's difficult for common folks like us to even make a hundred dollars a day but there are so many people who spend that much every single day 
So all of this makes sense, but a lot of people in Korea didn't buy it. And a lot of it has to do with that most of their victims were either middle class mm. or financially struggling. So it's like, yeah, yes, exactly. we understand what you say. Like, yeah, economic disparity is real. Eat the rich. Everyone can usually get on board. And like when people say eat the rich, they're not saying like, oh, eat your grandma who saved her entire life and worked really hard. We're talking about like billionaires where there's like corruption involved. There's exploitation involved. No one's saying like, hey, your neighbor's got a boat. Fucking kill him, you know? Yeah. So like it just people were kind of like it just seems hypocritical like how yeah. are you gonna say eat the rich they don't care about us but you didn't give a shit about any of the middle class people that you just killed they get arrested the guy who sold um the hyundai list the vip list he gets arrested the guns broker gets arrested and he revealed that they actually recently placed an order to get multiple automatic weapons and rifles so i think they were really trying to amp up and target that hyundai list and a lot of the initial officers they were um they had to resign or they were fired because what are you doing? <laughs> like, it was just a moment of like, what? So November 2nd of 1995, all of them were sentenced to death and they moved quick. All within 25 days of being arrested, they were all sentenced to death. There's like a conversation where people say that the president in power was losing his political power. So he thought maybe this would give him a push. Maybe this was like a statement that he could make and his followers could get back on board with him. So, yeah, there was a lot of corruption and a lot of weird stuff. 25 days is fast. Yeah. And I mean, until the day of their death, uh, their execution, there was no remorse. One of them stated that, hey, I'm only dying 40 years earlier than I was supposed to. So it's not really that big of a deal. And the families were horrified. All the families. I mean, I think everyone in Korea was horrified, but particularly the families of the killers, too. Because they were like, what? Like, we all grew up poor, too. Your brother's not a serial killer. You know, we, we literally live the same life as you. What are you doing killing these people? One of the families refused to even take custody of the body after the execution. And interestingly enough, the police officer, one of the arresting police officers, their wife took the body and had it cremated and she scattered his ashes. And I, I was questioning this. I was like, why would she do that? Mm -hmm. But a lot of people said, you know, you just, cops don't really feel that good about arresting someone, especially when it leads to their execution. Mm. so maybe they were just like i mean i'm glad that nobody else died and these people did deserve to get punished mm. but it's just a weird feeling i'm sure sure so she took the body now Susie obviously wasn't charged um I'm, it's crazy because there was actually a couple of it seemed like some people were debating the fact that she wasn't charged that's what my mom told me weird and um she had heavy loads of ptsd trauma she says that she takes a ton of pills just to be able to fall asleep at night and depression has been really hard because she doesn't know what she is is she a killer or is she a victim and it just constantly flip-flops and then to make things worse she was recently diagnosed with cancer and it seems like she just hasn't been able to live a normal life and that is the story of the Korean Manson family, otherwise known as Chijunpa. Just kind of crazy. Yeah. So let me know what are your thoughts. I know this one got a little political, but listen, I don't care what your politics stand or what you think about other people, but don't murder people. I guess that's <laughs> the only thing. Like, I'm all on board. I'm like, you know what? That's a, that's You're right. Like, something could be better here. But then the minute that you're like, we should kill them all. I'm like, I gotta go. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I, know, I can't. So I hope you guys enjoyed and I'll see you guys on Wednesday. Bye. Bye.